You are about to listen to Defending Black Girlhood Podcast, and I'm your host, Lalita G. I'm a black mother. Look, I don't care what Mookie May May and Lakeisha oh, Mama does. For real? I'm not Mookie May May and Lakeisha's uh, Mama. Tripping. A preacher. Give me the key of D. And Mary had a little baby, and his name was Jesus. A life coach. Look, girl, if Chump don't want no help, Chump don't get no help. Oh, and a singer. And I, and I, and I, no, I ain't a singer. Most of all, I'm an advocate for black girls everywhere they are. And I'm telling you right now, I am unapologetic as hell about my fierce advocacy for black girls to be safe in their homes, schools, and communities. Join us for courageous conversations about topics that most impact our girls and be inspired to do your part in defending black girls in your part of the world. Any scene depicted in this episode is a fictionalized dramatization based on true accounts and public records. We aim to give voice to the story and tragedy of Erica Hill's life. Some information may contain graphic, violent, or explicit language. Listener's discretion is advised. First, I give honor to God. I give honor to my pastor, to my first lady. Y'all, I just want to testify today. Will you let me testify? Will you let me tell you how good God has been to me? That Sister Marie is really on fire for the Lord. She keeps the church stirred up. Amen? Amen, Sister Bertha. We can always count on Sister Marie to bring the spirit with her when she comes. God has brought me a mighty long way. Saints, I said God has brought me a mighty long way. Y'all don't know, I was a wretch undone. And when I was undone, God came and he grabbed me and he sanctified me and he cleaned up my life. God turned my life around and now I dedicate myself to doing the you work You ain't heard Lord. this from me, Sister Jones, but I have to be honest that I've had some concerns about Sister Marie's girls from time to time, especially Erica. And that Erica, ooh, she's such a sweetheart. Well, all of Marie's children are so well behaved, but I have noticed I see the fear of God in their eyes when she's around. Amen? Amen, Sister Jones. I heard Sister Marie to tell them kids to be quiet when they were talking to her in church one Sunday. Sister, she scared my mouth closed. I didn't open up my mouth the rest of the service. Amen, sister. Ooh, and Erica's hair, Lord have mercy. I was gonna offer to do her hair for Marie and offer to buy her some summer clothes. That child is always wearing them hot long sleeve shirts every time I see her. But, I didn't want to seem like I was getting into Sister Marie's business. Amen? Amen, sister. You ain't heard this from me, Sister Jones, but I have noticed some suspicious marks on the girls from time to time. I hate to admit it, but I have to. What should we do, Sister Bertha? What should we do? Should we talk to Pastor? Talk to Sister Marie? Should we call social services? Sister Jones, how Sister Marie raises her children ain't none of our business. Let's just take it to the Lord in prayer. Amen? Amen, Sister Bertha. 
Amen. That's why I praise him. That's why I bless his name. That's why I do all that I can to be in the will of the Lord so that he could be pleased in the life that I live, that he could be pleased in the things that I do. I serve him because I love him, but he first loved me. I continue to feel driven, guided by a power and a spirit that's larger than me as I tell Erica Hill's story. And I feel this drive, like it is consuming me. It, it really is. And not in a bad way. I learned one thing and then I want to learn something else and I want to learn something else. And I'm finding that the spirit is meeting me and just having chance meetings and chance conversation with people who knew Erica, who knew Marie, who knew somebody else in the family. And so as I was thinking on this story the other night, the name Wanda Smith popped in my head and says, reach out to Wanda. And I had no reason to think or believe that Wanda had any knowledge of this, but Spirit said, reach out to Wanda. And so today in the studio, I have Wanda Smith, who is the founder and president of the Peace Network. She's a minister and community leader, always, always advocating for the voiceless and the greater medicine community and beyond. And so Minister Wanda Smith is in here with us today. Hi, sister. How are you doing? I am wonderful. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Wow. Thank you. Um, you like always, when I reach out to you, I know I can always count on you to do something. Amen. Thank you. And I appreciate that about you and the work that you're doing in the community as a whole. So Spirit told me to reach out to you. And my goodness, I've since been blown away <laughs> from that first just texting and what this has come. So let me just start with how are you acquainted with Marie Hill? Um, I met Marie Hill in 1995 when I joined Madison Pentecostal Assembly. I got baptized and she was a member of that um, ministry back then. Okay. And I stayed there probably like eight years okay. before I left. So the kids were small then, you know. Okay. Yeah. And so you and Marie <clears throat> were close or just kind of like, you know, church close? Yeah, we were church close. Saw each other on Sunday but throughout the week, week you weren't yeah. like braiding each other's hair and no, like that. No, no, no. We wasn't that type of clothes. Okay. Yeah. Did you all serve in the ministry similarly? I know she was a minister, like mm -hmm. a deaconess. Mm -hmm. Were you guys like on the same ministry team or anything like that? Well, I was sort of, I had started working with praise and worship team. And uh, you sing. Yeah, girl. I, I didn't know that. I'm not a singer. I'm a worshiper. So okay. that's the difference. a difference. There is a difference. <laughs> you know, but I could go in, amen, and take some folk can. with me, amen. I bet you can, yes. <laughs> and uh, other than that, you know, Sunday school, we, you know, we were faithful members of the church, mm -hmm. uh, bringing our kids. And I th her kids and my kids are probably around the, the same age. Okay. Some of the, I think my, my baby girl is like 31. Okay. So they're probably, and then Nicole is a little older, like 38, and then Derek is like 34. So... Roughly, you know, around the same age. around the same age as her kids probably is now. So, do you have any impression of Marie as a person? Only thing I remember about Marie is, man, we praise the Lord. You know okay. what I'm saying? She was a a, a a woman of God, shouting, and and we worship God and and we praise the Lord. And we probably had some phone calls outside of church because mm -hmm. she really was fond of my mother. She met mm -hmm. my mother and she talked about how my mother was so exciting as an elderly and praising God and stuff. Mm -hmm. Other than that, 
you know, I think maybe, you know, I seen her out in public, you know, okay. like the store or, um, you know, she was in the Odyssey program and, and, you know, just seeing her. And then I think the last time I, well, I seen her with the Odyssey program, but when her daughter passed away, that was the last time I had seen her. When Tierra. Tierra, yeah, okay. passed away. And that was back in 2004. So do you have any memories of Erica? You know, I was trying to, like, figure out. I remember Sierra and Tierra and Julius, you know, mm-hmm. the, the little kids. And I, I'm vaguely remembering Erica. Well, she came to live with the family about 2001. Was that around the time you were still with the I church? I was or? still with the church. Okay. Because I think I left in, yeah, I probably left, like, 2001, 2002, okay. something like that. So it might have been a little bit of yeah, a transition probably, time. Yeah, that so I really didn't. Did, yeah. mm-hmm. So now you said that Marie was a woman of God. How would you define a woman of God? Well, a woman of God who is supposedly hold up the standards of God, love and, and, and passion and carry the attributes of really serving and being an advocate and sort of just being a example mm-hmm. for somebody to model after. So then let me ask you this. Can you be a woman of God and be physically abusing your children? You know, they call it the mask, right? Two sides. Wearing two coats, they call it, right? Right. We present one way and then we go home when we become another person. Right. And so that could be, well, you could still be a woman of God and still need some deliverance in some areas. Okay, so you could be a woman of God. And then be beating the hell out of your kids. Well, I'm not going to say that you can be a woman of God because God is not a God that abuse and beat. And, mm-hmm. and he's not that type of God. He's mm-hmm. a loving and compassionate God. So when we talk about women of God and people of God, these are people that carry the attributes of God. Mm-hmm. Now, Satan carries the other weapons, right, of the abuse and the beat and the harm. And those things are totally separate from God. So when we say woman of God, we don't walk in those shoes. Right. Because I understand that as a parent, we have all had some ungodly moments with our children, losing our temper, whatever. And I think that is normal within the range of things. And the reason I ask is because I pause at that because I believe that people putting that title on someone can blind them from looking at what's really going on. And some people listening to this right now would be like, you can't judge. You're not supposed to judge. You know what? I judge every day. I judge every day because the Bible says, judge ye not that ye be not judged. So I try to use the same manner and level of expectation for others that I want other people to expect from me. Mm-hmm. OK, I have no heaven or hell to put anybody in, nor would I want to make that choice for anybody, because that is each person's individual relationship with God. But what I challenge is us as a body of Christ is to make sure, and I've seen this, I grew up in the church, okay? Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of things, things that I have enjoyed seeing, <laughs> things I have not enjoyed seeing and knowing about people. Yes, and we know that our walk with Christ is a journey. It's not about perfection. It's a journey that we should be getting better and growing as we go along. But what I've noticed in the church is that when people have gifts, particularly in music, when people have gifts or when people are givers, too often I've seen people look the other way over their behavior. Where I've heard a minister that I really respect talk about another minister who was greatly suspected of womanizing, calling him he's 40. No, that's just a hoe, right? If it was a woman... 
People have known about things, but because they're tithers or they're directing the choir, Lord have mercy, they play the organ. They look the other way. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah. And I think the church has turned into social clubs these days. I know that the Bible says that your gift will make room for you. Right. And put you in front of many men. And when he talks about that gift in that scripture, he's not talking about your talents. He's Mm -hmm. talking about your money. And so that's what's happening in the church. And I agree that the big tide payers are the ones that's going to keep the lights on Mm -hmm. and the the mortgage paid and all of that. But what it creates is a dysfunction in ministries. Yeah. And it causes a lot of trauma on every level that we allow people to reign in a space where we're supposed to be in the light. And then we really got the darkness ruling over us. And then, yeah. Right. I got into a Facebook argument with a local pastor. Oh, wow. And he was trying to come up at me. Listen, I grew up in a church and I knew you don't be disrespectful to a pastor. I respect the office. But he came at me because someone had said a charge against the church. I can't remember the specific thing it was. And I came out by saying something kind of like the conversation we're having now. And he rebuked me. And um, we ended up having an offline conversation because he got really disrespectful with me. I still didn't get disrespectful with him. So we're on this call and he said, well, you just got to be careful because you can't be talking about the church and blah, 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 blah. Nah, 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 nah. I said, look. And then when I started talking, he interrupted me. I said, Pastor, when you were speaking, I listened. Will you please let me speak now? And I said, what does the Bible say? See, people know that you know the Lord. Okay. And I am not one who can quote many scriptures, but I do know that the Bible says that judgment begins where? In the house of the Lord. In the house of the Lord. (laughs) That's what the Bible says. And I said, what this person said was right. And that was judgment against the church. And we have to look at some of these things that the practices that we have that keep dysfunction going on in the church, with our parishioners, as well as just hurt people and make them leave the church. We have to understand that God is going to judge us first on how we are treating his people. With that in mind, most people that I've spoken to or read about Marie have just said, oh, she was this woman of God. She would always pray. She'd be the first one to rejoice. She'd be the first one to help. She'd be the first one to do something. And one of the things I read a while ago, which made the most sense to me, they talk about when people are predators, they talk about not only do they groom their victims, but they also groom the community around them. So that should that victim ever say, this person hit me, this person touched me, this person raped me, this person did this to me, people would be like, oh, no, not that person. They're the nicest person around. They're so wonderful. No, not them, not them, not them. And I continue to get stuck at even after news came out in 2015 that Erica was dead and that her body had been heinously disposed of by Marie and she engaged her children in that. People refuse to still let go of the view that they have of her. Like something, y'all don't know the whole story. Listen, the whole that I know is Erica is dead. And I just don't know how many times you've come home and a 15 year old has been just dead on the floor for no reason. And then you've decided to pull out their teeth. Some reports said her body was stabbed. 
But yet people say you don't know the whole story. What more do we need to know? I don't know. What more do you need to know to step back to say, wait a minute, maybe, maybe this person wasn't who I thought she was. But I tend to see people wanting to come up with some kind of veil or some kind of excuse or even attack Kiara for being the one to come out and say what happened. Well, why didn't she come out earlier? Why didn't she do it sooner? Why did she do this if her mother was that? And it just reminds me of what society does to sexual assault victims when they come up. Why didn't you tell before? Why did you hold the secret? Why didn't you do this? Why were you wearing that? Any thoughts about that? Like, have you heard of any people? I know you not haven't been close, but just any folks kind of coming out against Kiara coming out and telling? I think that I have talked to some people and a lot of people. I'm still friends with a lot of members from the ministry and I have talked to a few of them and they say she's always been mean. You know, they, they've seen sides of her that, that Marie? Were, yeah, was evil and not really feeling that they didn't know the extent of the evilness. Right. Mm-hmm. What was going on at home and how mm-hmm. she started getting distant because keeping the people away from the kids so that they couldn't see what was the evil. On. Yeah. What was going on. And I just want to make sure that I underscore this and I'll try to say this as often as necessary. This is not an affront to. Mass and Pentecostal Assembly. Oh, no. Beautiful. This is nothing negative against them because I think a lot of ministries Mm -hmm. have Mm -hmm. a lot of people in. And part of it is with ministries, you're always trying to get somebody to serve. And folks who are willing to serve and enthusiastic about serving, you get them going. So this is not in front of any ministry. I'm just talking about the body of God as a whole. Yeah. As a whole. So since we talked a couple days ago, you said, let me see what I can find out. And in sure Wanda fashion, you got on it (laughs) and you was like, I got three people I'm supposed to talk to today. I'm talking to one person tomorrow. You just reached out. Mm -hmm. This story got you to what moved you to want to help with telling Erica's story? I remember when the story came out and how broken I became Mm. from somebody that I had been in ministry with, knew, and saw a whole nother side. Yeah. And oh my God. And I thought about, my biggest thing was those babies. Yeah. And what they endured and the trauma that they lived with and mm-hmm. what how they were abused mm-hmm. and nobody helped them. And when I read and I saw that, it was just so traumatic. And, and it was personal because this was somebody that, like, I knew, like, you know what I'm saying? Right. It had and, served in ministry. Yeah, it had with. served in ministry and seen at the store and we talked about the Lord and talked on the phone sometimes. And mm-hmm. then we've seen, you know, recently when, she, you know, she was in the program with my daughter a few years ago. And it just blew me away. And then when you called me and you said you was doing a documentary and wanted me to come on the show. And did I know Marie? And when you said, did I know Marie? And I was like, you know how something sits on your heart for so long? Mm -hmm. Like you want to believe it's not real, but it's really real. And it's like, okay, how can I really like talk about this? Right. Right. Because it's so painful. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's such a great need that people need to bring awareness to the situation. Right. And so when you call me and I was like, because I I did know her, I felt like she was a friend, but not really a close friend. Mm -hmm. You know, it was somebody that I fellowship for years and her kids and all of that. But when I thought about this, I was like, yeah, 
I said, we've did documentaries on everybody. Mm-hmm. With the Jeffrey Dahmer, John Wayne Gacy, and all of these. R. Kelly. Come on. Hello, yeah. Okay. Yes. You know he nasty. Yes. And we didn't want to believe that when that story came out. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to believe that, but the facts are out, right? right? It's painful, but it's something that needs to be said. Because when I think about, this is somebody that wasn't in that right mind to do these type of things. Mm-hmm. And the massiveness of it, right? I can't even phantom mm-hmm. what I could see if I came home and my kids had to be a part of that. Right, right. And so I knew that my question was, what type of mental health issue did she have mm-hmm. that people didn't see the signs of, right? Let me just ask you something yes, about ma'am. that. I kind of take aback. Whenever people do some whacked out crazy, we bring in mental health now. That is not to say that I don't believe that a lot of people have mental health issues, okay? But I think we put a lot of stuff on people with mental health that they just haven't earned. I think there's some people who are just evil. And I don't think it's about mental health. I think there's some people that are evil because I can line up a thousand people who have gone through everything somebody has gone through and worse. And they've never killed anybody. They've never hurt anyone besides themselves. They've never done any of that. And so I wonder sometimes, do we do mental health and those who are struggling with mental health issues a disservice by always labeling bad behavior, evil behavior as a mental health issue? That's a good question. Now, I can say that I know sometimes when people lose touch with reality, Mm -hmm. they do things that this type of behavior. Mm -hmm. And so that's when and you're right. There are people who are just evil, angry and walk with no remorse or anything. Mm -hmm. Right. So I don't know where she falls because I haven't. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I just think about that sometimes because yep. I just feel like, you know what, we give mental health people a bad name sometimes when we want to put everything. Just like whenever big crimes happen and it's somebody black, mm-hmm. they're just criminal, mm-hmm. evil, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. OK, let's just even talk about for a second when unarmed black men and women have recently been shot in the last two, three years. The normal things that happen are and again, unarmed black people. What has happened is the media immediately starts digging in their background. Well, they have been jailed for this. They had this. They're known to be drug users, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But then when somebody white goes up in the school and kill little babies, we hear about their mental health issues. Mm -hmm. We hear that they were violinists. Mm -hmm. We hear about how Mm -hmm. gifted they were and how hurt they were that their mother was giving all these little kids attention. That's just bullshit. (laughs) I'm sorry, because I know you probably don't cuss. A little bit under your breath maybe sometimes, but no. (laughs) That's just bullshit. Right, You know, when it's white, we always want to put all these labels on it. So that's why I'm saying this Mm -hmm. with that. I just feel like sometimes we put mental health on folks as their reason and at times I think it takes away accountability Mm -hmm. for making choices because when you're dealing with mental health issues when you're dealing with trauma and -hmm. all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff and you name me one black woman you know that's not dealing with not just her trauma but her mama's trauma her grandmama's Mm -hmm. trauma Mm -hmm. name me one black woman that's not been Mm -hmm. through hell Mm -hmm. yeah so you can't do it but they don't all respond in a certain way so I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. yeah. I just get frustrated by this. Right. So going back to Marie being in the church, 
Did you talk to any people that stated that they had seen any of the other girls, Tierra, Sierra, or Kiera, with any signs of abuse? Yeah, the oldest girl, Tierra. Mm-hmm. How she had scratches all the time, and they thought that it was just normal. You know, or she'll say that, oh, she fell, or or she scratched herself, or made excuses. Mm-hmm. The scarf that Erica had on her neck from a picture that somebody sent me, they felt the scarf was covering up scars. Mm-hmm. So I've talked to other people who have shared that when Tierra was a little girl, she showed signs of abuse. And I'll be sharing more of that off-air interview that I did. Again, this person wants to remain anonymous, and a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. And I kind of get that. But I also have heard a lot from people where I don't want to upset Marie or any of the kids. And I'm thinking, okay, let's not upset someone who is in jail right now for the death of this child. But it just pauses me because she said when Tierra was a toddler, she'd have marks on her face. She came over her house one time with a black eye and she asked her who did it. And Tierra said, my mother did this. And so that there were community people where she lived who saw stuff. Even before Erica came to live with the family, they saw things. Church people have saw things. School people saw things. Mm -hmm. There's a certain level of expectation I have for neighbors. There's a certain level of expectation I have for school, for social services, all having responsibility. But I do hold the church to a different standard. We know historically that the church has looked the other way and turned a blind eye to domestic violence. That's a hat that you wear, too being a person that's worked in the domestic violence field. We know that the church has turned a black eye to sexual abuse, particularly with children and not just the Catholic church. Mm -hmm. We know that's been big time, but not just the Catholic church. Trust me, it's not just priests Mm -hmm. out there messing with your babies. I guess it surprises me, though. Why? It surprises me that the church also has shut its eyes to physical abuse of children. Should I be surprised by that? Are you surprised by that? I think the church plays just the spiritual game, right? And we say, oh, well, we have to pray about everything, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And it's going to be all right, and we have to pray. And I think there comes to a point in time when we need to pray about some stuff. Right. But there are times when we need to talk to somebody we can lay our eyes on when we're dealing with kids who are part of uh, mental and physical abuse. Right. And I believe that the church needs to play. And some churches are being inclusive and have all kind of mental health providers Mm -hmm. in their church and and that people can reach out to. But I think they really don't push the issue, right? right? Or it could be part of ministry and it should be part of ministry. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have minister so-and-so who's a specialist in sexual assault. Mm -hmm. You know, we have minister so-and-so who's a person who helps with domestic violence if you have all these things. But I think the church gets so disconnected and they just want you to just pray about everything. But I think we miss it because the Bible says first natural, then spiritual, not spiritual, then natural. So that means that we're in this natural world and we need to connect people when they're having issues. And Mm -hmm. then, then we pray. Right. Don't the Bible say fight, watch and pray. Come on. Yes. Right. (laughs) Fight, watch and pray. Yes. Cause some of this stuff need to be fought. Yes, Lord. And you need to be watching. That's right. Then you pray. Pray. So you know what to pray for. I think it's important to note 
from both the church perspective and the church goers perspective. I don't think the church is supposed to know everything. I don't think the church is supposed to be able to fix everything. I don't think that because that's why we have professionals out there, you know, because there's some folks who won't go to a therapist. They won't go to a domestic violence mm-hmm. center to get any help or support or anything like that, whether they're a victim or they're an abuser. They want the church. They want the pastor. Pastor, can you pray with Can I meet with the pastor? Pastor, pastor, pastor. I don't expect that a pastor should be an expert in knowing how to deal with all those things. As a matter of fact, I wish more pastors would say, I will refer you on to somebody else and not think that they even have it to do. And then I also wish more parishioners would also not expect the church to fix everything. Because having grown up in a ministry that started in my home with my brother being the pastor, I've seen a lot of things and a lot of expectations like people when they want to do what they want to do. The church is too nosy. But then when they didn't did what they wanted to do, they didn't made a mess out of it. The church didn't do this. The church didn't do that. The church didn't do this. Also to parishioners, don't expect everything from your ministry. You know, that is your spiritual support. But like you said, first natural, then spiritual. So there are some things that we need to take care of Mm -hmm. outside of the church in order to make us better parishioners when we go inside the church. And I think that we get caught up with this holy image. I'm this leader. I got to keep up images that when stuff start going south, we are too embarrassed, too ashamed to take care of it. So we stay in our leadership positions, we stay ministering instead of knowing I need some help right now Mm -hmm. and let me back up and get that help. I agree. And also having a lot of the stuff is going on inside the sanctuary, Mm -hmm. right? Being able to refer those people out who are even people with mental health issues, even people with sexual assault, even people who with child abuse. Mm -hmm. It's being seen in the church, but ain't nothing being done about it. Why? Like you said, it's like an image. Like we want to, and I think a lot of pastors want to play God, like they can solve everything. Mm -hmm. And really they can't. They can't. Because Jesus had 12 disciples and he called for seven more. It's going to take a team in place to help these people, all of the people that come in, because they have all different kind of backgrounds and all different kind of issues. Mm-hmm. And you Absolutely. have to, that needs to be addressed naturally first and right. then spiritually. Right. Because we know that, you know, the broken come to church. That's what we expect. Yeah. That's what we should expect. Mm-hmm. And that's what church is for. It's the hospital for the spiritually broken. Just talking to church people, what are you seeing? Looking closer, leaning in. And not just how you doing, God bless you. I saw this one lady from church and I was having me a a particular day that day. I've struggled with a variety of issues over the year and sometimes depression shows its head. And I was having one of those days. And she says, hey, uh, sister, how you doing? I said, I can't remember exactly how I said, but I said something that indicated I was struggling. And she just dismissed it. But it's going to get better, right? Don't ask me how I'm doing if you don't want to know. Just keep walking. Just keep walking. And I think about how many times we'll say, hey, how you doing? Oh, good. And then we won't even answer anymore. So I saw her a couple weeks later. Hey, how you doing? Good. That's all you want to hear? I'm fine. If I was having something wrong, I would not even tell her. And I think we get to the point where we just surfacely ask people how they're doing. And then we surfacely answer because we don't think people want to know anyway. 
I think that being in ministry over 25 years and I've seen it on every level mm-hmm. and I have women who call me and men who call me about things that are going on in ministry that is traumatizing mm-hmm. and they know I'm a minister and also I'm a professional. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give them the best of both worlds. Right. But the bottom line is it's happening and the numbers are huge and massive and it's going to have to be dealt with one way or another, mm-hmm. bringing, exposing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's how until they get exposed, nothing going to change. Right. And there's a lot of voices. There's a lot of voices, a lot of cases, sexual abuse, domestic violence. Oh, man, you name it. The stuff that's going on in ministries. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen from pastors leaving their wives for men and leaving their wives for other women and the trauma it has caused mm-hmm. in ministries and sexual assault. The big case in Calvary, the big case of the sexual assault. I was a member of there for eight years, Calvary Gospel Church, where those 12 sexual assault cases came up at Calvary recently. It was a big article in the Yikes. Capital Times. I didn't so, hear about that. Yeah, it's a big article in the Cap Times. Take a look at it. 12 women came forward and I was wow. a part of the ministry during that time. So it's happening and it's mm-hmm. growing, but people are talking mm-hmm. and exposing it and things are going to change when we start talking about it. Yeah, because the secrets is what keeps us sick. Yep. yep. It's really the secret that makes it worse. And then as we keep secrets, then it leaves the next person unknowingly vulnerable to that same person because we haven't said anything. Yeah, that's why it's so important. I remember when I was in college years ago, and I remember my famous quote by Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. He said, my life begins to end the day I become silent about things that matter. Mm. And it mattered to me what my father did to me. It mattered to me when I was sexually assaulted. You know what I'm saying? Right. So today I speak about it, and I talk to women, and I talk to kids, and say, it is not okay right. for somebody to be touching you. You need to tell somebody. Right. Like you've already shared, you started talking to several people mm-hmm. that were connected with the ministry who knew Marie. Did anything surprise you that you heard so far? One person surprised me and said that probably, he's probably like 30, and said that in my book, she's always been evil. Wow. And this was probably a little kid at the time. I knew him as a little kid, right? To say that, that was like, wow, right? Because he probably had that more closeness with them and the family. Wow. And he actually submitted a written statement. I'm going to share that, okay? hmm So you had spoken to him, and at the time, even all these years later, it still kind of gripped him. Because it's still relatively, yeah. even though Erica has been dead now since 2007, People really have only wrestled with this since 2015 Mm -hmm. because they were told that she was living someplace else, had left and whatnot. So it hasn't been a long time that people have had to really wrestle with the truth that Erica was killed. And so he said that I remember Erica as being a very kind and smart person. She was always a sweetheart. When I heard about what happened to her, it broke my heart. How sad and cruel That poor girl didn't deserve to be treated the way she was treated, and she certainly didn't deserve to die in such a harsh and brutal way. I don't know too much about them other than seeing them at church, but it was definitely evident to everyone that encountered Marie and those children that something wasn't right. And with how Marie treated those children, especially Erica, 
Instead of people turning their head and ignoring the harm and trauma those children were going through, they could have stepped up and said something to Marie about the way she was treating them. It's just sad to think about. One thing I certainly know about Marie Hill is that she never would allow anyone to get close enough to her or those children because she didn't want to be exposed. She had always been evil in my book. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And most of this is somebody as an adult male reflecting back mm-hmm. as a boy mm-hmm. and his memories and his feelings and his thoughts at the time. And time and time again in court documents where there were several people who came up as character witnesses for Marie, they said, oh, she treated those kids good. She didn't make a difference between Erica and the other kids. I never saw anything. And these are all people who have claimed to have known Marie well and for years many of them had gone to church with her it's hard for me to believe they didn't see anything what about you yeah I remember talking to another member that knew her and she said that she knew stuff Mm -hmm. and a lot of other people knew stuff but you know how you can be in denial right yeah and you just don't want to believe that this is really happening because this is somebody that you love very dearly and you want to believe that They are not doing that. Right. Right. That evil. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of stuff was overlooked, but it was known. But we were taught that, well, just pray. Everything going to be all right. Mm -hmm. Pray for the situation. But what they failed to realize is this. When we go into four walls of the church, Mm -hmm. we pretending we're doing this. We perfect putting on the image. Right. But when people go home, they somebody else. Right. And so that's what we need to look at because everybody's going to be on their best behaviors in the sanctuary. Right. For two hours. Yes. Once a week. That's right. A lot of people did know about the abuse. School knew. The church knew. Um, But particularly with the church is where mm -hmm, I want to just kind of stay for a minute that there were several people in the church Mm -hmm. Who knew, who had seen signs, who had seen things. That's just sobering to me. As ministers in the church, we try to protect our people, right? Mm-hmm. We want to protect their image. We used to be taught to, we got to hide their sin. Cover right. it. Cover it. You know, you got to cover them. Right. And I'm saying like, I ain't covering nobody if they, you right. know, like, don't Especially be when teaching it comes me to that. children's welfare. Yeah, don't be teaching me that stuff. Right. And so I think that's a lot that was going on mm-hmm. in the ministry that as a minister, they wanted to protect her image mm-hmm. and then want the church to look bad. Right. It's happening everywhere. And it really is. Yeah, it's not yeah. any no. one ministry. ministry so that everywhere. a ministry should feel bad about exposing something because they feel of what the backlash might mm-hmm, be mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. them. Right. And so you did have a chance to talk to someone who considered herself a very close friend of Marie. Mm-hmm. Anything really stood out in that conversation? Very broken. She's mm-hmm. very broken. What stood out was the fact that she said she's always was mean. Wow. But I didn't think that she was a killer. Sure. And she said she wanted to talk about and share because she wanted to make sure that there wasn't another Erica Hill story. Right. And that what can we do as a community, as a church, Mm -hmm. so that it won't be another story like Erica Hill. Right. And that's what her main goal was. Yeah. Mine too. Yeah. Mine too. I was at church Sunday and saw this young lady and I asked her how she was doing. And I doubled back and I looked her in her eyes. Are you okay? What's going on? She said, yes, I'm okay. 
So this whole conversation has made me even be even more intentional about my interaction with young girls when I see them. And I think for Black girls, you know, this whole push to defend Black girlhood, they get the bad rap as girls that Black women get. Angry, loud, problem behavior, which as a Black woman, there's a lot of choices that we have when we're wrestling with that those characteristics that are put upon us. There's things that we can do, decisions we can make. We can change jobs. We can go to a different church. But when kids and when girls are having struggles, they don't have the option just to change schools or move from their home or do all these different things. And so I'm really wanting to rally particularly Black women because we were once Black girls. Yes, And we all carry our black girl stories with us. Yes, ma'am. But at some point we grow up and we put on our big girl panties and we put on our lipstick and our earrings and we just go about life. And I think we sometimes forget how hard it was to be a black girl. Maybe we don't want to feel our own pain. Maybe we want to forget that, dress it up, move beyond it, perfume it up and move beyond that. I don't know. I think with me and what I suffered as a child and being uh, molested and sexually assaulted, I do a lot of work with girls because I want to spare them some tears. Yeah. I want them to be able to talk to somebody that has walked in their shoes, Mm -hmm. that can help support them, that they could talk to outside of their family or their mom or somebody. So being able to be that type of person, Mm -hmm. black girls need that. Yes, they do. And they need it in their church. Yes. Because there is so much that we can say about all these other systems Mm -hmm. that are failing our kids and that are failing our black girls. But I think we also have to look, is the church, is the black church stepping up to the plate on behalf of our black girls the way it needs to and the way they need us to? I'm going to say this and I'm probably going to have a pastor's calling me and rebuking me, too, as well. But the church has failed a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of black women. Yeah. When they look to the pastor for support and then they end up in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. And so adding more trauma on top of the trauma, on top of the trauma. And so now you didn't messed up God for us. Oh, my God. You know what? That was our last source. Everything. My daddy didn't do me right. My mama beat me. My daddy did this to me. Let me go to the church and find Jesus. Yes. And then. You didn't mess up Jesus for yes, us. Lose yes, here. And yes. don't you have accountability for that? Yes. Even people have lost faith mm. in ministries and feel, oh, I ain't going over there. It's right. the same thing. You know, ain't no All hypocrites. Yeah. They ain't nothing. Yeah. They're not going to support my mental illness. They're not going to support my sexual assault because a lot of them are being sexually assaulted right in the church. The devil, you say. Yes. We need Jesus to come through Throwing over some tables, whooping some behinds right now, don't mm-hmm. we? And some of them have been even abused in the church. My you God. know, I was listening to some story. Some pastor was trying to beat the devil out of somebody. My like, God. Lord Jesus. Ooh. And trying to beat the devil out was, of somebody, the on. devil was in him. Hello. But the it, devil it, can't beat the devil out. You well, can't rebuke your own self. Hello. My God. Ooh. So, yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. There is. There is. And... Listeners, if you one of them people, I'm sure people ain't nothing but hypocrites and they ain't da 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 Listen, 
church people are just people. Yeah. And we have our own brokenness and we're trying to make it. Some of us, some of us is not trying to do no better. But some of us are trying to do better. Yeah. We really are. And we're trying to line up with what God has for our lives. Sometimes we make it, sometimes we don't. But some of us are really in the struggle. Yeah. To be what God would have us to be. But I think that if we hold up the standard mm-hmm. of ministry and church and what it's all about, and when we start addressing stuff that's inside the sanctuaries and yeah. not let it continue, then things can really change and people can see it in a different and light. And you said sanctuary. Yeah. It's supposed to be a place that's safe. Yeah. From all the things out in the outside world. Yes supposed to be a place that's safe and we need the church to be that yeah one thing that this friend shared and I do I really really hope that she will join me on air to share because I think she has a very unique perspective yeah and one of the things that I'm really working to do is build a whole sense of who Erica was because for those of us who didn't know Erica all we know is first of all she was a Jane Doe and didn't nobody know anything about her for eight years. Jesus. For eight God. years. Lord Jesus. And then we know she was murdered, but then that's it. Then it's, everything has been around everybody else but Erica. Yeah. Everybody else but her. And so I really, at the end of this, in hitting all these hard and important topics, in the end, I want us to have a sense of who Erica was. Was she long for what was important to her, her passion, her personality. And I feel Erica's spirit with me. And I feel like her spirit is unsettled. Mm. And I don't know, honest to God, I don't know if people die and they just go on to heaven and that's it. Or if there's some people who leave the earth in a very tragic way. If there's something in their spirit that lingers. I feel that. I feel a lingering that I'm sensing from the lack of people wanting to talk about it leaves it to sweep her death, sweep her experiences under the rug. And I feel an unsettling about that. And I'm hoping that this brings peace to her spirits, to my spirit, to the spirits of those who have been disturbed because of this situation, that it brings a sense of peace because I'm still trying to find out even where Erica's body is. Mm. I've called Gary and Deanna because they buried her when she was still 2007 Jane Doe. And I've been over the last couple of weeks been calling and calling. And to date, I got to call them back today. Mm-hmm. They have not been able to say her body is buried at such and such a place. The hurtful thing for me is that she suffered in silence. Yeah. Although people saw her pain, saw her scars, and no one stood up for her to the point of resolution. I think there were people who did a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but to the point of ending the abuse she was under. Then she was killed and she was thrown away in garbage bags and just tossed away like a piece of trash. And now we don't even know where her body is. And she's never even had a funeral. Or a memorial service to even say your life mattered. I think that's one of the things that feels the most unsettling for me. Mm. And then yet people want to say, 
well, I don't want to upset Marie. I don't want to upset this person or that person. If we don't stand in a gap for someone that we now know went through hell, who are we willing to stand in the gap for? Yeah, I think that's a beautiful thing. And I believe that we know that the God of the atmosphere, right? He visited. What is man that thou mindful and a son of man that he comes to visit us? And this may be a visitation that's between you and God. Mm -hmm. You don't have to try to explain it. Mm -hmm. Because when I talked to uh, one of the other sisters, she said, I was just talking to my husband. Wow. And I knew that there would be a documentary about this. Wow. The Lord had showed me. Wow. So that's confirmation. That is something that has to come to the light. And is it painful? Of course. When I think about it, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. it, it Trauma sits in the core of our belly. Amen. Right, right. If we continue to let it sit there and not talk about it, what it do? It grows and becomes stuff that shuts our body functions down. And right. so... I think it's, it's a beautiful thing you're doing. I think it's probably going to bring closure to the kids that are left behind and so. what they had to deal with. You know, some healing has to take place for them. And yes. so let's be there for them. Yes. Because who are they talking to? Right. You know what I'm saying? They really care. Right. Who are they talking to? I can't even imagine what they've been through. Right. And listening at their story. Yeah. And their side of it. Right. It's totally different from anything else because they lived through it. Absolutely. So I salute you, my sister. It's the charge that God has given you. And it's going to be painful. Mm -hmm. But you know, that pain is going to bring some beauty out of it, right? And some closure yeah. for a lot of it. Because what I'm hearing from you is there's no closure for Erica. Right. She you wasn't late to yes, rest. Yes, yeah. Right. And in yeah. every sense of the of the word, the way we mean that yeah. and and ceremoniously yeah. how people are laid to rest in their life is honored. She hasn't had that yet. Yeah. And that's something yeah. that I want us yeah. to bring to her. Yeah. And well, that's a charge that God has given you. And he's going to send the people that's going to help make it happen. Thank you. I believe that. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. That's very, very encouraging. And one of the gifts that you did give me through this friend was a picture of Erica that she said was sometime in 2005. Because after Erica revealed abuse at school in the fall of 2004, Marie pulled her from school. She'd been off the grid between 2004 to 2007. She was just not out and seen and about. So to see a picture from her from 2005, that's one of the things I really want to shed light on is what was her life from when the report happened in 2004 until 2007 when she was killed? What was her life like? Where was she? Most people who knew her didn't see her and just figure out what that happened. And there's only some, the kids can really tell from what I've read so far, Many of the things that Kiera has said happened, the other two kids have denied, but the evidence is kind of there to lean towards what Kiera has reported. And so, so we will keep at this. And, and I hope that those of us who are church going people, that we won't assume that just because somebody is in church, 
and not even just that parent, just because that family is in church means that those kids are okay. Because I feel like when kids are in school, there needs to be at least one person, one adult that they can talk to. We need to make sure that we know that there is one trusted adult in churches that kids who are going through something can talk to and feel like they can get the support that they need. And we need more church people to step up to, because I don't believe in this foster system that has been created as it is. It's not for us. And by us, I mean us black people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And honestly, I see a lot of the ways that the foster care system is set up to be this another plantation where white folks are living off the black bodies, right? And there's some good foster parents out there. I was a foster parent for a time and I worked for Dane County and I saw some whack people out there that were clearly racist that they would place our kids with or place our kids way out in on Sunnybrook Farm and stuff like that. So I don't think the system is perfect and I'm not looking for us. Let's report all these parents and get them in the system so these kids can be saved by the white horse, you know, or rather the white woman on the horse. You know, I'm not expecting that. But, you know, back in the day, we didn't have foster care, but Sister Sarah would step up, the neighbor would step up, even sometimes the cousin would step up. Let me take them babies. Let me help you out with yeah. them babies. That's what we need, I think. Yeah. We need more of that kind of informal folks stepping in while parents are getting the help and support that they need. Yeah. And I'm not exactly sure how we go about reviving that. But we need that. As black people, I think we have lost the sense of community. And that is just the core of who we are. When you look way back to Africa, we were about community. It was the we. It wasn't the us. And we've come over here to America through trial and tribulation. And we've ended up more like European thinking. Us. Us. Me. Me. I want to mm -hmm. get mine. I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get paid. Mm -hmm. Forget mm -hmm. the haters. Da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. And one more person say something about the haters. I'm like, you hating yourself. I, if I have haters, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm going to keep doing what That's I don't right. even care. I ain't got time That's to stop right. and talk, address my haters. You know what I'm saying? But we've come so me focused and I focused and Eurocentrically minded yeah. that we've got out of that sense of community. And that is what saved us. I know. I totally agree. And the state is so <laughs> different. Yeah. Um, everybody on an island. And we think that we have the solution, but our kids are still dying and our kids right. are still going through all of this stuff. Right. And what we need to do is really just to get together and collaborate. Right. And really make a difference. Right. And we got all these churches. I think it's like 30 something black churches. Which growing up in this community, I could count all the black churches on one hand. Yep. And it was like one, one of each yep. denomination, pretty yep. much. There was a Baptist church. Yep. There was an AME yep. church. Yep. We was the Church of God in Christ. Yep. Yep. There was a Pentecostal yep. church. Yep. I don't know what the fifth one was, but. I know. When I moved here in 1993, I think it was like one or two black churches. Mm -hmm. And so now it, the mass has grown, right? Right. So implementing those services in those ministries would be powerful. If the pastor can get on the pulpit or somebody can make an announcement and say, hey, we got this announcement or the pastor can say, well, if you because the pastor can't answer all the questions. Right. Pastor can't serve all the people that right. got all the issues. And then if he could say, if you having problems with this, 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 it's OK to refer outside the church. Absolutely. 
And it doesn't take anything from the pastor. At all. It gives him something. Yes. It gives him some life. Like, even the Lord told Moses, look, you need some help, bruh. Because these people going to kill you right. if you sit up here all day, listen to people's problems and issues. You're going to die. And so he needed help and we need help. And the pastor needs help mm-hmm. to do what he's doing, mm-hmm. you know, in order to serve the people in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think we as various, whether you're a lay person, whether you're a minister, whatever you are in the church, we have a great opportunity to do our ministry and do it in non-traditional ways. Yeah. You know, my ministry is very non-traditional and yours is as well, where it used to be a time if you weren't in the pulpit doing ministry or in the church doing ministry, teaching Sunday school or something like that, it wasn't acknowledged mm-hmm. as ministry. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to see more ways that we can do outreach, but I think also let's find more ways we can do in reach and have touch points. And, you know, I was just thinking as I was in church Sunday, I'm starting to look up everybody upside their head suspect right now. I truly am. And I'm thinking, do we need to have like a one-on-one meeting with each person that's in ministry? Everybody in our church ministry might be just fine. You hear what I'm saying? I'm just suspect of everybody right now. Yeah. I really am. And it's not that I think everybody is wearing that mask. Well, I guess, I don't know. It makes me think about when I was in in high school. Let me see how much as I can remember this. Don't be fooled by me. Don't be fooled by the faces that I wear. For I wear a thousand masks, masks that I'm afraid to take off, and none of them are me. Mm. I think my English teacher would be very proud of me. (laughs) Wow. Man, almost 40 years later, I can recite a poem that I learned in high school. But I think we all wear masks. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's just the way it is in the human experience. But One thing I will encourage us to do is to listen to this, listening into these stories and these conversations that we're having about Erica Hill, and then be inspired to start peeling off your own mask and then looking beyond the mask that our Black girls are wearing towards helping us defend Black girlhood, even in the church. Sister Wanda, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. As my grandmother would say, "Mm, mm, mm," that was a good conversation. And listen, we're not playing. We mean this thing. We mean to defend black girlhood by taking on the tough conversations that need to be had in order to do so. And we would love for you to get more connected with our work and our mission by visiting Laleda.org to explore the dynamic work we're doing to defend black girls everywhere they are. And while you're there, we invite you to join our mailing list so you will not miss one single fearless conversation. <laughs>